Jamie, just to kick it off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into the industry, and where you're at today? Sure. Well, thanks very much for having me on. I um, am a native of Seattle, Washington, here in the Pacific Northwest, although I live now here in uh, Portland, where I've been for a number of years. After graduating from college, I entered the banking community. That's been my entire uh, career for, uh, I guess, 30 years now. I spent um, kind of my, my early banking years in retail banking and then kind of graduating to small business and commercial banking, all really in, in lending. That's been my entire career. So working with kind of small business, middle market sized businesses, helping them with all sorts of uh, different forms of credit over the years. And so that's been my entire um, career. Something I just really observed and appreciated over the years was um, kind of a segment of businesses that needed access to capital that just kind of resided on the edges of what banks like to do. And you know, these were businesses that in my opinion were credit worthy, but for whatever reason, just kind of sat outside uh, the bank's credit criteria or pricing criteria, but I felt were good loans to be made. And I just saw enough of these over the years that finally a couple of years ago, I did something about it. And I formed a, a, a fund with a couple other partners where we do exactly that, which is lending to small uh, businesses looking for additional access to capital that you know maybe sit outside of uh, what banks typically like to do and helping them grow through working capital uh, or acquisition financing. So tell us a little bit about the companies and um kind of a follow-up question, you know, we could do it separately, but what, uh, what, what do the banks think about these companies? Why don't the banks like to make these type of loans? Yeah, that's a good, two great questions. So kind of, first of all, who is our borrower? So we do all commercial loans. We don't do commercial real estate loans, although we might take real estate as collateral. Um, so the businesses we work with are all operating entities. So to kind of paint the picture a little bit more, these are, first of all, not startup, pre-profit, pre-revenue companies. These are ones that are already profitable or at least cash flow or EBITDA positive. And they're looking really to throw some gas on the fire and really accelerate their growth through either permanent working capital or to help with acquisitions. And that's kind of where we step in. From an industry perspective, we're pretty broad based. Uh, we don't do things like uh, cryptocurrency or bioscience, cannabis, adult entertainment, kind of uh, the usual types of uh, companies that are, are kind of tough for us. The companies we do like really fall under one of two buckets. Uh, first, it's companies that make stuff. So think manufacture, wholesale, distribution companies, both B2B and B2C. Uh, and then we uh, work with some service uh, providers as well. So I talked to someone recently that was looking to acquire a trucking company or maybe an excavating company, so th things like that. Geographically, we work with companies really all over the United States, although we have a tendency to focus on the Pacific Northwest, which is where, where I live. And uh, the kinds of loans we do, and we, we do lending really 500,000 to 5 million is kind of our sweet spot. Um, there's other private credit funds who do what we do, but most of which kind of start where we leave off. So we don't have a real kind of busy market for, for the kinds of loans under 5 million that we focus on. You know, the, so why do banks not want to do these loans? You know, usually there's a story to be told. And our underwriting includes more than just looking at pieces of paper and financial statements, although that is a part of it. So, you know, we're willing to do a deeper dive with some of these businesses than the bank might feel comfortable doing. We're willing to get creative around structure. 
And we often run into businesses that have maybe either kind of maxed out their bank or their bank has maxed out them, and they're just looking for a little bit more. And that's where we tend to, to do best. That's great. And I guess maybe talk to us about the, the underwriting process. Um, what does it look like, the time it takes to go through this process with uh, potential clients? Um, and then just maybe also as a separate segment to that, you know, has that process changed over time in your view from your career? When you started where, where, where it's at now, I'd love to hear that as well. Yeah. So I would maybe answer the second question first, which is really my process has not changed much over the years. And as much as I don't, you know, I think this is an overused word, I would say that we take a very holistic approach to uh, credit analysis and credit underwriting, which is kind of two part. There's a there's an art in a, in a science for sure. So the science is looking at financial statements and having discussions with the bar, borrower around their supply chain, client concentrations, uh, historical performance, what the future looks like, what their defensible position in the marketplace is, kind of all traditional credit analysis. But then the, the art of this is really um, kind of being on site, walking the machine shop floor with the owners, talking to the management team, being able to, uh, as I learned a long time ago, kind of stare into the whites of someone's eyes and just know if they're going to pay you back or not. And, you know, that's hard to do by looking at a piece of paper. And so we kind of combine those things. Frankly, that's been part of my um, underwriting philosophy since I started my career. And, you know, knock on wood, so far that's, you know, worked out well for me. And um, I think that translates well into um, our, our company today. That's great. Um, from a middle market perspective, just seeing the deals that come your way, maybe going back from last year, 2023 to now, is that increased, say the same, just curious where the opportunity set lies for you as you move forward. Yeah. So we basically have a line out the door <laughs> in terms of people who want to borrow, you know, for better, or for worse. And, um, you know, I think the reason for that, there's multiple reasons for that, you know, and I would maybe start by, uh, kind of what's going on in commercial lending in general. And I started my banking career in 1995. I think I've gone through four recessions during that period of time. Uh, so I have, you know, at least some exposure to what happens during these cycles. And what's very common is when there's a concern around uh, economic conditions or recession, you know, large banks get more conservative. This is not a surprise. You know, this is very normal. Typically what happens, though, is that smaller banks, so think like regional banks, community banks, you know, they pick up the slack. And that's why they're there. That's what these smaller banks are kind of designed for. But what's happened in this cycle that's different than past ones, that at least I've experienced, is this uh, liquidity and capital constraints. So, you know, last year, two banks failed, or at least two banks failed, but I'm thinking about Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. These did not fail for credit quality reasons. This is my opinion, of course. Um, and that's the number one reason why banks failed. They failed because of liquidity management issues. And so what I've seen, and this is now a very broad statement, but what I'm seeing is kind of a flight to safety for retail and commercial depositors. So large banks are growing in deposits, but not lending as much. So you can kind of see where I'm going with this. And so smaller banks, even though they may want to be lending, have their own capital issues. So they may be able to support their existing borrowers, but maybe are struggling to take on new ones. And then kind of the third phenomenon I throw on top of that is COVID, which statistically was a boom for new business formation. So, you know, think kind of great resignation, things like this. And while not all these businesses are successful, you know, some are, 
three years later now, they're seeking capital. And so where do they go? So when you kind of put all this together, and frankly, the fact that we do lending kind of below the minimums for most other private lenders, you know, we're busy <laughs> for sure. And I, you know, for better, or for worse, I get a call pretty much every day. Uh, now, not, not all these are credit worthy, but, you know, many are. And, you know, at the end of the day, we try to do like one or two loans a month. So, you know, we'd say no more than I would like to, but that's kind of the nature um, of the business. And, you know, it just underscores, in my opinion, the, the importance of private credit, which is frankly, you know, a growing, uh, growingly more important part of kind of the commercial lending ecosystem these days. Absolutely. T tell us a little bit about how these companies are finding you. How do they, how do, how do you get connected with, you know, all these different companies in this space? How do they, you know, they need money. How, 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 how do they come across, you know, somebody like yourself? Yeah. So for better, or for worse, I've been um, in commercial lending for a long time and in the Northwest a long time. So most companies uh, find, find us. Uh, we get referrals from other commercial banks, which we're very much a compliment to, not a competitor to. Uh, we get referrals from investment bankers who are putting together transactions where there's maybe, you know, one more slice of that capital stack that's needed to complete a transaction. Um, we get loans from other kind of venture debt and mezzanine private lenders who run into things that might be too small for them. Um, and, you know, we're super proud that we are getting more referrals from existing or former borrowers of ours who have had a good experience. We help them solve a problem, take advantage of an opportunity. And now they, you know, they talk to other entrepreneurs who are finding their way to us. That's great. That's good to have that, that flow of uh, activity coming your way. Well, absolutely. You know, I've been doing lending for a really long time. So I've kind of maybe not seen it all, but seen a lot. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm happy to be a resource for these entrepreneurs. I mean, uh, it's a leap of faith to go into business and, um, you know, you're, you're taking a huge risk by doing that. And I believe firmly in kind of supporting the entrepreneurial uh, spirit and lending is kind of the way I've chosen to do that. Uh, but, you know, frankly, if I can help in other ways and point them to um, other resources that they can take advantage of, even if I can't do a loan, you know, I'm happy to talk to these these people. Yeah, it makes sense. Obviously, you know, the big challenges for many, any small business is undercapitalization, right? If you can support that and provide that vehicle. I'm curious, too, just from a term perspective, is it shorter term loans, longer term? Where do you guys stack up in that equation? Yeah, so we tend to be really more of a bridge type purpose. I mean, we're pretty opportunistic, meaning... Uh, so first of all, we're not here to save a company that's struggling or failing. That's not what we do. Right. We help uh, companies take advantage of market conditions and accelerate growth. Uh, so we try to stay pretty short. Uh, the average loan on our books today is about a million five. The average duration of our loans are probably about 18 months, uh, give or take a couple. So we do underwrite our loans to recurring cash flow in terms of how we get paid. But in reality, we typically get paid via one of three events with um, an event being either a more traditional lender refinances the whole balance sheet and takes us out uh, or the company does an equity raise or sale of company or maybe some combination of those things and so we try to structure our loans based on the likelihood of one or more of those three things happening um, and you know we're very customized in terms of how we do that with the borrower how do you think about rates so somebody comes to you you know, you have to assess their credit worthy, worthiness, obviously. Um, how do you how do you create rates and how do, how do you kind of think about rates in general? 
Uh, yeah, so that's a great conversation. We need maybe several hours to tackle that one in full. But, you know, I, I guess what I would say at a high level is, you know, we believe in really a risk adjusted return um, based on each customer being different. Uh, so we don't have like a pricing matrix or grid where it's formulaic. We we really look at each deal on its own and consider, you know, what does our cash flow repayment look like? What's the collateral to support it? Are there guarantors as part of this? And that really kind of goes into our pricing. I do get the question a lot around, well, you know, when rates are going up and down, how does that impact you? And given where we are today, you know, it seems like rates are going to fall. Does that impact you? And, you know, I would say that, um, the economic conditions around us impact our pricing decision only in a very minuscule way, meaning our pricing is really set based on supply and demand. And, you know, as I've kind of shared, we're in really high demand and we have kind of our own limited supply and that really kind of dictates our pricing. Um, so, you know, I don't get overly concerned about are we in a rising rate environment or falling rate? And given the fact that we stay pretty short, meaning, you know, under two years, we don't have a lot of interest rate risk uh, sensitivity. Um, so that, you know, it's all kind of, yeah. that's part of, there's, you know, again, that art and science that go into how we price and structure our loans. Uh, but at the end of the day, I feel like, you know, we're significantly more expensive than a traditional lender. But if you're the borrower, you know, what are your options? If you're looking to, hey, we want to, let's say, add more clients or get into a new market or take on a new product, and we need working capital to do that, or we want to buy a competitor, you know, what are your choices? You know, first of all, you could be using the um, recurring cash flow from the business and reinvest in the business, which frankly, most entrepreneurs are already doing, or you could sell equity, which is much more expensive than us, in my opinion, and it's dilutive. So you're giving up, you know, some degree of control, or you can take on debt. And if you've already maybe maxed out your bank or your bank is kind of at their limit with you, then where do you go? And that's kind of where we fit in, you know, and we, we do want to be fair, but in reality, I think most of our borrowers are less concerned about interest rates and more so concerned about the reliability of access to capital. And that's kind of what we focus on. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, uh, you know, what, what do the rates typically look like for these type of companies? Are, are you talking like, you know, 10, 15%? Uh, how, how does the spread kind of compare to, you know, treasuries, for example? Sure. So for, first of all, um, we're typically interest only on our structures all the way with interest due, uh, payments due monthly all the way through and then a balloon at maturity. So that's generally how we form our loans. Um, you know, we do expect um, coupon yields in kind of the 15 to 17%. And we do usually have, you know, one to three points of origination. And usually there's an exit fee as well. Uh, sometimes we offer a pay in kind feature and we can be, again, creative around how we get repaid. So, uh, you know, that's generally our starting point. Uh, but every customer, like I said, is unique and we don't have a set kind of product. We just build it around them. Now, what we don't do, I just kind of add in there is we're not really there to be kind of a dedicated asset based lender. There's plenty of other lenders who do that. We're not a real estate lender, you know, we're not doing that. So, you know, we're kind of opportunistic, which implies that there's creativity um, around how we structure our loans. That makes sense. I'm uh, just curious. I mean, obviously you have a, your niche, right? And where you guys focus on, is there any specific trends you're seeing in the types of businesses or sectors that you 
maybe like more than others that are coming your way more so than others? I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I guess in terms of trends, I do get that question really more from our investors than uh, borrowers around kind of what's going on in the world around us. And, you know, I, um, I've seen really good loans get made in the very worst of times. And I've conversely seen really bad loans get made in the very best of times. <laughs> so, you know, my point of saying that is uh, small business is very resilient, you know, yeah. for the most part. And there's plenty of businesses out there that are doing just fine. And again, you know, the businesses we talk to from a revenue standpoint, kind of gross revenue are typically under 75 million. I call that small business or more of kind of emerging middle market. So that's kind of the segment that we're talking about. You know, I can't really speak to, you know, the larger segment, but at the size that we talk to, um, you know, nothing's ever perfect, but there's plenty of businesses who are doing fine. And, you know, COVID was again, a, a really good example of um, the entrepreneurial spirit and the willingness to kind of pivot a business model. And I saw lots of businesses you know, figure out, okay, we're not going to change our product, but how we deliver it's got to change. And, um, you know, I see that even, you know, now three plus years later. Yeah, great, great point. Obviously, it changed both for them and for you, right? Obviously, you can't meet with them for a certain amount of time. You're used to meeting in person to kind of kick the tires a bit. Yeah, um, I mean, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I stay at the end of the day, we're still a very face to face business. But, you know, just yes. like this conversation we're having, you know, face to face might mean different things than it did, uh, you know, right. even a handful of years ago. Yeah, absolutely. What, what are just curious, uh, any misconceptions or maybe questions you always get asked by borrowers or your, your potential customers that, um, you kind of see it on an ongoing basis? Sure. I mean, I, we do get considered, you know, we do get asked, hey, are you a hard money lender? And I have no problem, you know, there's no, I have no ill will around hard money lenders. I just kind of characterize that category is lending into troubled situations and trying to heal them. And that's, not, again, not what we do. Um, could you, could I also, you define the, the hard, hard money lending real quick? <laughs> well, I mean, that's kind of it. It's a company that is probably not uh, cash flow positive. Uh, there's a negative event that they're navigating through and they need help to survive. That's, you know, and I think the lenders who do that kind of business, uh, lean more into their primary source of re repayment being liquidation of collateral, than it would be cash flow from the operations of the business, which is what we focus on. You know, collateral is important, but it's secondary to having sufficient cash flow, which is why the businesses we work with you know, have already kind of proven themselves to the public. The public has said, yes, we like this. You know, it's a profitable, cash flow positive business. And that's kind of our starting point. Now, I would just kind of, you know, this is a little bit of a tangent, but share with you part of our ability to be creative is we've had a couple of businesses come to us where the underlying business was not yet uh, cash flow positive. But, you know, it's entrepreneurs who had a good vision. And frankly, they had outside sources of cash flow that were totally independent from the business. And so we were and that might include, um, you know, W2 income from spouses kind of thing. And so we're willing to look at things much more globally and um, consider things beyond just the underlying business. And that's, you know, part of what's fun about what we do is, you know, everything's unique. We, we customize everything. And so we're willing again to kind of listen to that story and think a little bit outside the box or maybe just have a bigger box. 
There you go. Yeah, very much a holistic approach that you said, right? Kind of yep. Looking at everything, taking that into consideration, not just the current state of the, the business, but the founders, kind of where things are at. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get to the investor side in just a minute, but um, to kind of, you know, wrap up some things here on the borrower side, what, what, what are some of the risks in terms of, you know, obviously loaning somebody capital? What, what, are, what are some of the risks on your end that you, that you guys, you and your team are thinking about? Sure. Well, I mean, hey, are we going to get repaid? And that's, that's the, that's the risk of, you know, uh, lending in general. Uh, you know, I feel like it, yeah, I say that a little bit jokingly, but that's, you know, there's many things that keep me up at night, but that's certainly uh, the number one thing on the borrower side is, are we going to get repaid? But, you know, I feel like uh, we're very diligent about our underwriting, which frankly, we continue even after we close a loan. So we're getting financial reporting typically monthly from all of our borrowers. You know, I actually do look at it. I have conversations with the borrowers. We don't just file it away or kind of forget to ask about it. So that is really important to us. So we stay really close to the borrowers all the way through until maturity of the loan. You know, and then beyond that, I feel like we're well-structured uh, from a collateral standpoint. Uh, we're taking a UCC filing on all business assets, which might um, cover the entire loan or part of it. Um, we're taking personal guarantees in almost all cases. And then we might seek outside collateral you know, a second on a piece of real estate. Uh, we've taken filings against purchase orders or really anything that we need to, to kind of shore up um, any risk in the loan. So, you know, that's that's part of it. Um, but, you know, there's always risks that come to us that we don't think about. And, uh, you know, COVID is, again, to kind of come back to this as a perfect <laughs> example. You know, we weren't underwriting loans thinking about a pandemic four years ago. Uh, but it happened and, you know, we pivot and figure it out. And, uh, you know, staying really close to your borrowers, the number one way to do that. And communication is really important, uh, not just until you close a loan, but all the way until maturity of the loan. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. When you, when you guys get these financial statements, are you making sure these statements are audited? Like if I took a loan from you, you're not just taking my word for it, you know, when I send you these statements or how do you think? Yeah, I mean, th that's a great question. So that, again, that's part of the overall risk assessment and how we price our loans. You know, I, I would say that at the size of companies we're working with, we're typically not getting audited financials. I mean, that's going to be a much larger company typically. You know, our um, information could be coming from, as a, um, a CPA prepared financial statement or reviewed. In other cases, we're doing a combination of company prepared returns and tax returns. And again, that's just part of the analysis. It's not the entire analysis, but you know that is a consideration is the quality of financial reporting um, and the accuracy. I mean, we don't have it with any of our borrowers right now, thankfully, but I've seen uh, potential borrowers come to us where their balance sheet didn't balance. And you know that's kind of a red flag <laughs> for sure. And you know that's part of you know what we look at in terms of uh, the risk profile. That makes sense. And obviously you mentioned you're, it's not just a one and done. This is an ongoing, you're getting statements every, every month, you're checking in with your borrowers. So that's obviously crucial and that, that mitigates obviously yeah. from a risk perspective. What yeah. I mean, at. we take a lot of pride in um, the fact that, you know, I know every one of our borrowers, so it's not like we have thousands of loans in our portfolio. I know every single one of them, you know, I interact with all of our borrowers in a, in a conversational way, at least once a quarter, you know, we're getting financials monthly, you know, those who are doing really well, there's not, you know, maybe as much to talk about. Uh, but, you know, I think our borrowers lean into us, not just as their lender,
but it's kind of that's within that circle of trusted advisors. And we, you know, we take that role really seriously. And to the extent we can offer value in other ways, you know, just referring them to maybe a, hey, I need a new CFO, who should we talk to? Um, or, hey, I'm, we're looking for insurance, who should we talk to? You know, we're always happy to help in those ways too. Yeah, that's cool to think about. That's something I, I never really have considered with, uh, you know, credit funds. Um, so it's interesting to hear that perspective. Uh, talk to us about some of the, some of the bad deals, like let, you know some nightmare scenarios. <laughs> what are, what are some of the worst deals that you've come across? Uh, you know how how have you kind of dealt with them, and and what does it look like? You know, I mean, I'm sure you have to talk to you know creditors or you know people that are trying to liquidate these companies. You know, what what are some of the bad deals, and, and kind of yeah. how does that look like? Well, so fortunately, I can say that you know within our portfolio today, we've really not had those kinds of issues. So, uh, you know, we've had a few past due issues, but we stay close to them. Uh, I'm not concerned about the credit quality within our portfolio, but hey, you know, I spent 25 plus years in lending. I've seen some bad stuff out there. Um, you know, I, I work with borrowers who uh, maybe bought a business, but the seller didn't really go away and then kind of crowbarred themselves back in. Uh, or we got financial statements that ended up not being accurate. And, you know, I, I, for better or for worse, spent uh, some time in special assets management, which is kind of the bad boy, you know, section of banking uh, and saw, you know, that there, there's, you know, many entrepreneurs who are, have their heart in the right place, but there's others who, you know, kind of treat their bank or their lender like a vendor. And we're not here to be a vendor. We're here to be a partner. And if you want just a vendor relationship, you know, which is kind of like we want the low cost provider, you know, that's not what we do. Uh, but, you know, especially as the size, and it's not just banking, but as the size of company you're working with gets bigger, it becomes more of a commodity or vendor discussion and less a relationship one. And, you know, that's again, why um, I kind of learned some lessons from being in a big bank for a number of years and why I enjoy, you know, really being part of a small business now. I want to turn the tables and start talking about the investor side of the business. So um, let's start with just like capital raising. So how, how do you go about raising capital for, you know, fund structure? Yeah. So maybe I'll kind of, I'll back up and share just a little kind of overview. What is our fund and then uh, get more to your question. So, you know, we're, we're not a bank. We don't take in deposits, which is how banks then turn around and lend money. So we created a fund is our mechanism to go out and make the loans. So our fund is a, what's called an evergreen or open-ended fund. We don't ever have a closed date. This will go on in perpetuity. And you know the reason why is as loans pay off, we just recycle the dollars and make a new loan. And so we would likely never stop doing that unless we couldn't find good loans to make. And you know that's not been an issue for us so far. So our fund is really structured as an income style strategy. So we're not, first of all, a growth fund. We're never gonna have outsized returns. We're not making equity investments in these businesses. We're a debt provider and we want to be you know, consistent, although we have a range of, of pricing certainly within that. So you know, we're all about capital preservation and then a recurring income stream, which we do via a quarterly distribution. So we have a target return to our investors annually of 10%. We pay a distribution every quarter. We're really proud to say that we've beaten that return every quarter since inception of the fund. And, you know, this has proven to be good for those who, you know, are looking for a little extra yield. Um, and maybe they have um, um, liquidity they're not sure where to, what to do with, or they have other fixed, um, fixed income instruments that they're maybe looking to complement with something with, 
you know, my opinion, a modest degree of credit risk, or they maybe have a concentration in real estate or a business and lo they're looking to kind of divest uh, from that. So the capital raising side, you know, this is uh, definitely a significant part of my time. You know, finding loans for us is really easy. <laughs> I mean, borrowers find us. We don't have to, you know, market much for that or really at all. Uh, so, you know, supply is not a problem. You know, and the irony is not lost on me that our borrowers are coming to us because they're capital restrained in most cases. Well, you know, so are we to some degree too. So, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that our fund has about $15 million of assets under management in it today. We have, I think, 47 uh, limited partners in the fund. It's been mostly individuals and families to date. We're trying to move a little bit, you know, broaden that, but move up market a little bit too to more smaller family offices. Uh, the RIA community is, you know, um, I think an important source of capital for us. But I spend a lot of time on the capital raising side. So, you know, I'm uh, networking with uh, those who manage money for others who, who, or who would have an interest for something like this. And, you know, those are kind of one conversation uh, at a time. And I feel like we have a very compelling product. Uh, but, you know, like any kind of emerging manager or new fund, you know, we get the feedback of this kind of concept of too, too small, too new, you know, a lot. And I have a really thick skin about it. There's nothing I can do about it other than every quarter that goes by, we're less small, less new. We have a consistent return. And, you know, that we stick with kind of the objective data, you know, in, in uh, telling our story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's tough sometimes. Nobody wants to be the majority stakeholder. They have a minimum ticket size of five million or ten, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, though, I'm curious, just from an investor feedback perspective, just the questions you get asked on their side probably comes down to a lot of things. One being the qualitative and quantitative process of due diligence, mm -hmm. all those things that you go through, right? Which you've done for years. So I'm sure, curious, kind of hear kind of the feedback that you've gotten to this point. Yeah, I mean, the number one question we get is, you know, what could go wrong, which is, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, I guess what could go wrong is all of our loans could stop paying, we go into default, we can't collect, and the fund, you know, ends. Now, I think that's a uh, extreme, uh, you know, uh, view, and I don't believe that that will happen. Uh, but, you know, I have to think about that. And there's no guarantee in this. And our return is only a target. There's no, you know, guarantee of this. Um, and so, you know, that's, you know, for an investor, they have to consider that. And, you know, so when I think about, well, what, you know, what are their alternatives? Um, so first of all, we do have a two-year commitment on our fund. So if you put money in, you got to be in there for at least two years. Um, although we do pay a distribution that can be paid in cash or reinvested, it's up to the investor. The reason that we have that is because the average duration of our loans are 18 months. So we're not highly liquid from that standpoint. So, you know, from an investor perspective, what else could they do over a two-year time horizon to generate a similar type of return? So, you know, the, the uh, easiest comparison would be like a two-year treasury or two-year bank CD. You know, I think today a two-year treasury is around 440. Well, you know, two years ago, it was probably 140. So, you know, if that's kind of the range, um, you know, the choice of the investor is, well, I could do something at essentially no risk for four-ish percent. Uh, or I could put money in a private credit fund that has, you know, in my opinion, modest degree of credit risk, but the return is 10 plus percent. In last year, kind of in total, we were about 11. So I'm super proud of that. And so, is, you know, the six or 700 basis points of difference, is it worth it? 
In my opinion, it is, but I'm not a financial advisor. Um, but that's kind of the decision I think our investors are thinking about. Um, and I guess the other thing that I would throw maybe on top of that is um, part of the decision-making is this idea of supporting the small business community. So we absolutely have investors who are former or current entrepreneurs who have kind of navigated through the challenges of starting a business, obtaining credit, challenges with credit, and then ultimately having a liquidity event. And I think there is a, a growing segment of our investors who really take pride in the fact that they've kind of navigated through that storm. They had a positive outcome. And their dollars they're investing, at least in part, are going to really support exactly that same kind of community. And you know that's um, you know never a guarantee and doesn't translate objectively into a return. But I think people take pride in it, and we're super proud to you know support that community. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, small businesses. You know, it's the, it's the heart of America. Uh, so I love to see that. Uh, you mentioned evergreen structure, so I I, I like. I like to think about that, uh, you know, kind of how you structure that. So with, uh, you know, in terms of these loans coming in, how, how do the investor redemptions look? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, first of all, we have a two-year commitment, like I said. So uh, there's no redemption of principal allowed in those first two years. Uh, after that, they can request it quarterly. Uh, however, and, you know, I would say, first of all, what I would add to that is, you know, just like our borrowers, we screen and interview our investors too. And if someone wants to be out in two years, you know, probably I'm going to say this is not a good fit. I mean, if we're not delivering on a return, then yeah, I get it. But if we are, you know, we want to be a longer term partner than just, you know, uh, that period of time. Uh, however, we do pay a distribution, like I said, quarterly. It can get paid in cash, which probably about a third of our investors do. Uh, or it can be just reinvested to their capital account, which is, you know, two thirds of our investors are doing that. It provides, you know, some degree of compounding um, effect. And, you know, I'd say that by and large, most of our investors want the yield and that kind of return, but don't necessarily need the cash in pocket. And, you know, from an evergreen structure, we kind of did that um, with a lot of uh, intention because you know, we would like to continue to grow our fund. We see a lot of opportunity out there. Uh, we'd like to take advantage of market conditions and you know help more borrowers, frankly. Uh, and so having a fund that is constantly recycling is really part of that. And like I said, we would only stop raising money if we felt like we couldn't find good investments in the form of loans to make. And you know that's not not an issue. And uh, I don't foresee that it being one uh, anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I do see a lot of evergreen funds just launching in general, given the, that efficiency play, right, of mm -hmm. just recycling new opportunities and not having to you know, close down one structure, create another fund two, if you will, and then spin that up again. So it definitely can. Yeah, and kind of you know what I on. what I see too, because you talked about efficiency, is it's it's hard to do small things efficiently, and I understand why other private funds are, have maybe grown up over time, or they just focus on larger loans. I mean, doing a ten million dollar loan or one million dollar loan takes probably the same amount of work, um, but you know there's efficiencies as you get bigger. But you know we are a very lean, scrappy organization. We keep our overhead very low. And so we can do small loans, which are frankly the kinds of ones I like better anyway, we can do them really efficiently. And so that's why you know our segment of the marketplace is a little bit less crowded 
And, but you know, I love it. And uh, that's why we'll continue to, to stick with it. What do you think about in terms of capacity? So if, you know, a billion dollars came in today as an example, you know, would you be able to put all this to work? You know, how do you, how do you kind of think about capacity <laughs> yeah. and maybe uh, even capacity over time as you scale? Yeah. So do you know someone who's thinking about it? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do like, get that. I do get that question a lot. So I'll kind of share it. I'll answer that maybe two different ways. So first of all, kind of what are our goals? Uh, so we really feel like we can, um, efficiently manage the segment we're in with a fund in kind of that 30 to million, 30 to $50 million range. So we're aggressively trying to get to that size. Uh, we feel like we don't need to add people resources up until we're at that size or larger. So that's kind of why we're trying to fill in the capacity that we already have in place right now. I also feel like given our average loan size, that the level of credit risk diversification at a fund, you know, 30 to $50 million, I just feel better about. I mean, you're just putting your eggs in more baskets, you know, basically at that size. So, you know, as I think about investors who come in, you know, our average investor today has about 350,000 with us. Uh, we're super proud and happy. You know, I'm very grateful for everyone who, you know, has entrusted their money with us. Um, and we'd like to continue to grow that both in number and kind of average uh, size so that we can do more loans. Um, you know, I, um, from an um, investor standpoint, we would like to continue to kind of move um, up market. Um, and um, so that's why we've made investments in technology to help us work kind of with the RIA community and more foundations and smaller family offices. And, you know, to kind of then answer your question, if someone, you know, first of all, we have a big backlog of loans. So if someone wants to invest our minimum 100,000 or even a million, you know, we could deploy that right away. So I would, you know, advise them just write us a check because it will go out the door as soon as it comes in. Five million, you know, it would, I would say, yes, we would love to, you know, work with you. It would take us maybe 30 days to deploy that. 10 million, you know, then I would maybe say, why don't we do a kind of a capital call? Uh, situation and we'll take half of it now and then you know probably in 45 days we're going to want the rest because we have you know the backlog that we're always um facing having said all that you know i would just caveat by saying um our investors when they join us you know their dollars go into the fund as it exists you know at that point in time so you're not waiting for a new loan to be made you're in the whole portfolio as it comes in and we stay you know very deployed um, of our assets under management in loans at all times. So we don't sit on cash, which is why, you know, we can provide the return that we do, uh, again, given our loan demand and why as dollars come in, you know, unless it's that billion dollar investor, we'd figure it out. But, you know, the smaller ones that we work with, we can deploy that, you know, efficiently and very quickly. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Cause that, that, that's actually what I was going to go into in terms of like holding cash. Um, you know, it sounds like you're able to deploy right away with, I, I guess kind of the backlog in terms of loans, are you, uh, you know, do you like, you kind of mentioned, you know, $5 million comes in, you're able to deploy that, you know, pretty quickly. Uh, in terms of like, w w when you're doing the due diligence on these companies, how long does it take? And, you know, do you have, like, sure. are you, ha do you have those people ready? Like, hey, next million dollars, you know, coming your way. Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, borrowers that we're working with today where we have, underwritten the loan, we've documented the loan, we're ready to sign, but we're waiting for additional capital. 
which you know for us either comes in from investor activity or an existing loan paying down or paying off you know lending is much more predictable to understand when we're going to get liquidity the investor side is harder so we have borrowers who meet that you know are in that criteria we're very sensitive to um kind of timing issues so if a borrowers you know has a drop dead date to buy another business or complete something and we don't feel like we're going to have the liquidity i mean we're super upfront about that so our borrowers you know are pretty patient for the most part sometimes we'll break our loans into multiple advances so we don't do revolving debt but you know a two million dollar loan we might do a five hundred thousand dollar advance for monthly for four months kind of thing to kind of make that work and just you know to get in as many as as we can so you know we do um think about that you know from an underwriting perspective we have the ability to move very quickly we did one loan uh in fourth quarter of last year where I think from inception of conversation with the borrower to when we funded the loan was I think five business days. Now that's, you know, we just, we had the liquidity. It was kind of opportunistic. Uh, we've since gotten repaid on that loan. It worked out great for everyone. So being nimble is certainly something we take a lot of pride in. We'd love to be able to do that more often and just kind of the timing worked out in that transaction. In reality, you know, most of our loans were probably from initial conversation to when we're, uh, documenting a loan, you know, it's anywhere from a two to four week process, which I think is still, you know, compared to traditional banks, um, is still pretty good. You know, again, it's kind of the timing of the liquidity that's a bigger challenge for us than um, being able to underwrite the loan. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts? On, I don't know if I talked to a lot of fund managers as well. I'm just curious your thoughts on we talked about earlier you know, some investors that are larger, larger asset owners, right? That can't invest in your fund from, from the minimum constraints. Mm -hmm. They have a certain minimum themselves that's higher than that. I know some managers have taken the approach of like, let's do a side, you know, almost like a managed account situation or they'll create the structure and then you'll just, it'll be a separate, you know, fund in itself that you'll, you know, you'll deploy because they like you, they like your due diligence process. They like what you you brought to the table. Um, have you guys thought about that at all? Or is that something you just, that's yeah. So, you know, I, I am an opportunistic guy. I'm willing to talk to anyone, you know, in a way that if it makes sense, we would certainly look at it. Um, you know, we do have the ability to do sidecar letters within our fund. We haven't to date, you know, we've tried to, we really try hard to keep things really simple. I think that benefits everyone sure. when we do that. Uh, but, you know, we see loan demand out there. We'd like to be able to say yes more often. So we're willing to look at these kinds of things. You know, I had a conversation with a small uh, family foundation the other day that said, you know, we really like what you do, but we have a minimum check of 10 million and we can't be more than 10% of your fund. Well, you know, right. we're a $15 million fund, 10% of that's a million five. We'd love for them to be a million five, but it's below their minimum. And it's kind of that chicken and egg phenomenon. But, you know, at the end of the day, I have a very thick skin about this. My feelings are not hurt. You know, we continue to grow. We're adding investors every month as is. Um, but, you know, I do see the opportunities out there and we would like to go, you know, a little bit more upmarket, you know, as we've talked about. So I'm, we're willing to look and talk to anyone around something that would benefit um, everyone. But, you know, I do believe very strongly in being very fair to all of our investors. And so I'm not going to you know, do something that would jeopardize that just so we can make more loans. A hundred percent. Yeah. It sounds like the loan, you have a lot of opportunity on the loan side. 
Um, yeah. Just trying to find the right opportunity for you guys, which is great, right? It's important. Absolutely. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the macro space? In terms well, of like I mean, macro private credit, yeah. yeah. What have you seen out there? <laughs> so, you know, first of all, you know, we're the tiniest of pebbles in a big and growing ocean. And I get that. And, you know, frankly, I'm fine with that because, you know, we roll out the red carpet for our borrowers and our investors and everyone is a big fish in our small pond. And that's the way we like it. We're always going to try to operate that way. Uh, and I think people appreciate that. And that's kind of who we tend to attract. You know, private credit, I think today is like a $1.5 trillion industry. I can't remember what that was maybe even five years ago, but I suspect it's probably doubled in that period of time. Um, and I see just kind of based on what we talked about earlier around big banks being conservative, kind of growing credit need, um, you know, I, I think that will only continue. Um, you know, especially it seems like at the larger end of that curve, meaning loans, let's say 10 million and up, um, and again, there's efficiency issues with doing small loans, as we've talked about, uh, but there's no less of a need in it. Any final thoughts for either investors looking to get into, you know, a credit fund or, you know, borrowers looking to, to, to borrow money from a credit fund? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, we're happy to talk to either. I mean, I, I love talking to borrowers. We get referrals sometimes where the person making the referral is saying, hey, I don't know if they're going to qualify or not. And my response is, don't worry about it. I've been doing this for a long time. Things kind of come full circle in life. If, if I can provide value, great. If I can't do the loan, I probably know someone who can. And so I'm happy to talk to anyone. You know, on the investor side, uh, you know, we're definitely looking to continue to add investors for the reasons we've talked about. You know, demand is there and we feel like we have a good product. Um, and, you know, I would maybe close by saying, uh, I, I love what I do. I mean, lending is all I've ever done. My golf game sucks. I've never won the Powerball. I'm not going to. So, you know, this is what I do. And um, I enjoy helping see businesses uh, leverage additional capital to success. And, um, you know, I'm going to keep keep doing it. And I have, you know, a very supportive group around me that allows us to, to do that successfully and efficiently. And we're going to keep keep going. That's great. Well, Jamie, really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Learned a lot talking with you. Um, where Likewise. can people go to connect with you and uh, learn more about your company? Sure. So we're, again, Meriwether Group Capital. Um, you can We have a, a robust website. We're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can reach out anytime. Uh, we have all of our you know email on, on those resources and uh, happy to, to start up a discussion. Amazing. We, we really appreciate it, Jamie. Thanks for, for, having, for being on the, on the show and uh, we'll make sure to include that in the notes. Thank you very much. It's been a good time.